0: Evening, night, church. How are we? Good. Hey, uh, hey. I just feel immensely privileged to to be in this position tonight. I love this church. I love this place. I love the people that fill uh, this room week in and week out. And uh, you know, I um, every week I'm just refreshed by the. Um, the teaching on this platform and the worship that echoes out of this place, Uh, I'm so grateful for it. And I'm grateful for the community, you guys, that um, just serve so willingly, that jump in and fill gaps and get around others. Uh, I'm so grateful for this church. And so I just wanted to start off by saying thank you for that. Hey, uh, yeah, I have. I've, I've, um, I've been given the task of speaking on the goodness of God this morning. Hey, um, I wonder, you've, you've probably heard this before, and I've done a lot of study around first impressions, and we've all heard probably some sayings about first impressions. Here's one. You, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Then there's this doozy, listen to this. Two things remain irretrievable, time and a first impression. It's a bit depressing to me, but... First impressions are an incredible thing. Do you know, they say that in as little as 33 milliseconds of meeting a person, you will have drawn subconscious conclusions on their trustworthiness, their leadership ability, their intelligence, and their likability. That's before they've even opened their mouth to speak. Oh, not, not, not me, Jake. Not me, Jake. I I don't take any of that into consideration. You, you can hop off your high horse for two seconds. This is all of us. I'm not saying it makes us judgmental, but we do. We naturally make some quick assumptions. Of course, you know, our first impressions, they can be changed. The more we interact with a person, we will more often than not realize that our assumptions that we first made were completely wrong. One thing, I don't know if this is just a New Zealand thing. I imagine it's pretty widespread, but I reckon we can conclude a lot based on the quality of a person's handshake, can't we? Is there anything worse than a sloppy handshake? <laughs> I don't reckon there is. It was drilled into us from the days of our school assemblies. We believe there is a direct correlation in New Zealand between the man or a woman you are and the quality and the style of your handshake. And there's a few variables to a good handshake. You've got your obvious one though, the firmness. That's the part that's drilled into us. And I've decided i like to sit somewhere in the middle on this one, because you've got those that are too soft. And there's obvious problems there, and I've decided that it comes down to respect. Because number one, either you've lost respect for yourself, (laughs) or you have no respect for the person that you're shaking the hand of. But listen, then then there's the other extreme. Then there's the people uh, that go all out, they go right in, uh, and really they're trying to cut off circulation, I reckon. (laughs) And I reckon this is usually, I've noticed, they pair it up with the, the grab your hand, pull it to your side, um, and, and it's a real power play, I reckon. But I've tried, I've, I try to go somewhere in the middle. First impressions are big. Hey, me and my mate were having a conversation a few weeks ago, uh, and, and we know each other really well now, and there's a lot of respects there. But anyways, you know, sometimes, uh, somehow we got talking, and uh, we were talking about our first impressions of each other. And let me tell you, it left us both squirming, because both of us, we'd made some wildly wrong conclusions before even knowing the other person. And so we're really glad that we, we got to know each other, and we pushed past those first impressions, those first assumptions we made. But maybe maybe uh, you heard we were doing a series on Malachi, and you thought to yourself, really? Like, like, I know that all of the Bible is God-breathed, but really, that's the book we've chosen to study as a church. Because on the theme of first impressions, you might have considered this a bit of a beat up on the Israelite nation, right? It's a beat up based on an old covenant written prior to the coming of the Messiah, being spoken to a lineage that we don't stem from. Where is the relevance to us today? Surely we could get more from David and Goliath or Peter walking on water, the parting of the seas, one of the crowd favorites, you know. But hopefully over the last few weeks, like me and my mate, you've begun to see the incorrect assumptions that we've been making. Hopefully you've seen that while God is being straight up with Israel, he's certainly not beating around the bush with them, what he's really been doing is writing a love letter to his people and desperately trying to bring them back into alignment with his good purpose for them. He's calling his people to a higher standard and inviting them into something so much better than what they have. You know, the first week of our series, it saw Isaac talk about how God prefaced this prophecy with a posture of love. He reminded us that God loves us and He always has. And it's important that we understand that our God chose to start with that because our understanding of God's love for us will affect every aspect of how we live, it will affect our identity, our self worth, our purpose. Imagine this. Imagine if God's church truly understood this love that God has for us. Imagine the shake-up that this world would get if the church truly knew the weight and the significance of the love that we receive from our God. And so we started there, and then over the last few weeks, we've, we've learned about some breakdowns of covenant. Throughout Malachi, God has been bringing some criticism to the people of Israel. Nate taught us of the, the blemished offerings they were bringing as sacrifices, Isaac came back and looked at divorce and the breakdown that was happening there. Daryl taught us about God's plan for injustice. And this week, we're going to step into chapter 3, and we're going to find some criticism around the way that the Israelites had been handling their commitment to tithe. Uh, So with all that said, why why don't we head there now? We're in Malachi chapter 3. We're starting at verse 6. It says this, I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. What a verse to open up with, right? I am the Lord and I do not change. If we were asking a second ago about the relevance of this Old Testament book that was addressed to Israel about an old covenant, he's just told us why it's relevant. He doesn't change. He's the same God now as he was to Israel back then, which means that this book, it can tell us something about God's posture towards his people, about how our worldly desires sit with him. He doesn't change. His love for us hasn't changed. His mercy for us hasn't changed. His heart for justice hasn't changed. And His intolerance of our sin, it hasn't changed. He's the same God. So let's go on. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into my storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. I find it really interesting that in our text, we, we sort of see this back and forth dialogue between God and Israel. God says, Israel, you're robbing me. And they ask, how are we robbing you? And later on, we saw that God says, you've spoken arrogantly against me. And their response, what have we said against you? I find it interesting because these are genuine responses from Israel. They genuinely can't see how they've let God down. They've become unaware of their wrongdoing, oblivious to their breaking of the covenant. And I'm touching on this because I think it's easy to get to this point. And as I look back on decisions within my own life and some of the areas where I've experienced God looking to refine me, it's usually been in the places where I've started with some small decisions, where I've eroded the edges of what I know God has wanted for me. And as we become more comfortable with these small decisions, the enemy will, will start to use this wrongdoing and we become numb to it. And it grows and it progresses, it builds into bigger things until suddenly We've allowed worldly views and ideas to influence our belief structure and our identity. Maybe it's a a vice like excessive drinking or or pornography. Maybe it's the decisions that we're making in our relationships. Maybe it's allowing things like pride or anger to creep into our lives. But we allow these things to to get out of control. And it started with some small decisions. You know, it, it, it won't matter if I trip up here for a second. I won't be hurting anyone. Maybe it would be okay if I just screwed up this one time. We've, we've all got to have some fun sometimes, right? And it, it could look a whole lot of different way, ways, but we, we become numb to it. And before long, we're genuinely unaware, and we're like Israel saying, God, how did I wrong you? And, and what we've done is we've allowed the world's values that fit in with our own preferences to take God's will for us. And soon enough, we can't tell the difference between God's will and our own. You know, there's a concept that when we're discerning what God is saying to us, we should always check it back with the character of God and who, uh, uh, who he is, who we know him to be. And that is so important. There's nothing wrong with that. But I wonder, what are we allowing to shape that view of who he is and what he stands for? Yeah, you know, I'd argue if it's not from this book, we might be forming uh, our ideas from the wrong sources. Don't get me wrong, God God will speak to us, prompt us, encourage us, mold us in so many different ways. I I know for me, God uses the people in my circles to do this. He uses time in his creation to reaffirm his goodness to me. He'll speak through podcasts and sermons through my Connect group. And we we should be allowing God to use all of these different avenues to draw us closer to him and to a deeper awareness of who he is. But we've just come out of a collection of talks on the importance of the Bible in church. If the view that we're forming of God and his character doesn't align with what's in this book, God is going to want to refine that. He's going to want to work at that and call it out. He will want something to change because our God doesn't change. We learned that from our scripture reading. So this book is the truth that we have to hold to. Isaac spoke a message two weeks ago on God's mercy in our mess. He taught us that God meets us where we are, has mercy for us, and he has a better way for us. So he's here to lead us out of some things. And that's what God is saying to the Israelites in our scripture today. He's saying, guys, I I need to pull you up on some things that you've become numb to, that you've allowed to go under the radar for too long, and you've allowed this stuff to influence how you see me. Through your breaking of my covenant, you've allowed worldly ideology to creep into your hearts and minds, and it's caused you to start playing the comparison game. How come we don't have what the other nations have? How come this blessing that you've promised us doesn't seem to be coming through? These people over here, they don't even know you and they seem to be better off than us. We can get pretty good at playing the comparison game too, can't we? I I know I can. How come I don't have what they have, God? I've been slaving around here, working for you, and they're doing better than me. They have the car, they have the house, the good-looking wife or husband, their family gets along. But God's calling Israel back and saying, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You've forgotten something here. You've forgotten that my promise asked something of you as well. And I gave you some truth and some ways to live by in order that you might see blessing in your life. This instruction that I've asked of you was never put in place to restrict you, to punish you, to discipline you. I've asked it of you because I have a deep love for you and I know a better way for you. And by the way, don't be so foolish to think that they have it all. They might have riches, but they haven't got my peace. They might have the shiny things, but they haven't got my hope. I think some of us will spend 45 minutes scrolling Instagram or TikTok, Facebook, whatever it is. We're looking at everybody else's successes, how funny they are, how good looking they are, their sporting ability, their money. And we'll get off our phone and and two seconds later, we'll genuinely be saying to God, why don't I feel content? Why don't I feel the peace of God right now? When was the last time we we spent 20 minutes having a good scroll on social media or on a news site and gotten off and thought, wow, I I just feel so refreshed. I I feel ready to start my day, walking in the blessing. (laughs) It doesn't happen, does it? Church, it's important to know that adapting our actions won't be what earns God's love. God has prefaced all of this with his love for Israel and his people. Adapting our actions won't earn us our salvation, That was bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, and we are forever grateful for that. We can't actually earn God's peace or joy either. These are things he loves to gift to his people. But he has put in place some measures that will allow us to experience them in their fullness. And in tonight's passage, God is addressing one of those measures. He's addressing their tithe, and he's used strong language. He said, Israel, you're robbing me. Israel, you're robbing me. I've set up this system to benefit you, to bless you, and to provide for you, but you've neglected to walk in my ways, and it started to affect how you see me and how you see and receive the love that I have for you. The tithing system at the time, it was set up to sustain the temples and the priests who relied on this tithe for their income. It worked to provide a place for public worship. It meant that they could come together and feast together and worship together, much like what we get to do around here. God knew that there was so much to benefit in his people coming together to worship and to connect with one another. And so he built a system to allow for that. And their tithe, that would sustain the needy and the poor who couldn't provide for themselves. Often their tithe, that would be the physical first 10% of their harvest each year. So when the scripture says that they would bring their tithe into the storehouse, they would literally bring it into the storehouse so that the hungry might eat that the priests might be able to eat, and in turn, the people of Israel could gather together, they could worship, and they could be spiritually fed. And God was saying, if you would give me your first, not only will you benefit from all of these things, but I will bless you abundantly, over and above all of that. I will honor the trust that you have placed in me. I will protect your crops, and your nation will prosper. We do need to be careful here. Um, uh, Sorry. We do need to be careful here uh, that this doesn't mean that every individual would have health and wealth. Uh, But it was saying, I will bless your nation as a whole, and as a result, you will be blessed. And so God He's He's asked for their first cut. This text is referring to their financial first, and we can apply that, uh, that to any area of our lives, whether that be our time, our relationships, our energy. But I, I don't think I could be true to text without speaking on our resources and our finances, because that's what God is talking to the Israelites about. He's asking them to take what he has given them. You know, James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. He's asking that we take what he has afforded to us and to give him back the first cut. And while we sit under a new covenant with God through Jesus Christ, God asks us to give freely and without reluctance out of an overwhelming love for our Savior and the people he came to save. Listen to what it says in, in 2 Corinthians 9.6. It says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God is asking of us to bring our first so that others may be blessed by our obedience, that they might through us as his church see the hand of God. And he promises that he will provide for us. How good was that last verse? You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. But but Israel had been skimping on what they were offering to God and wondering why they couldn't see God's provision. Listen though to the generosity that he offers back to them. He says, test me in this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. He's asking us to put our faith in him, that if we would prioritize him, make him Lord of our lives and therefore offer him our first and our best, just watch what he will do with that. Just watch how he will provide for the needy and bring hope to our nation. Just watch how he will bless the land. And remember, this isn't because his love is transactional. This is God asking of us to be his hands and feet and walk in his ways so that more and more people will get to share in the hope that he provides for us. But he needs us to offer ourselves back to him so that he can use what He's so generously put within us. It's a good thing that God's love isn't transactional, isn't it? I was reading this, Listen, listen to this. I was reading that from the moment that we wake up, to the moment that our head hits the pillow at the end of the day, on average, we make 35,000 decisions. You heard it, 35,000 decisions. That's big decisions and really small decisions. But just statistically speaking, if we are making 35,000 decisions in a day, we are bound to, at, at some point, just statistically speaking, make some bad decisions. So it's a good thing that his love is not transactional. You know, think about that for a second. From the moment we get up, we are inundated with choices to make. Will I go to the gym or sleep an extra 30 minutes? Will I make my lunch before work or pick something up from the bakery? Will I stay up and watch that match or will I prioritize rest? Will I, will I spend 20 minutes, that 20 minutes that I tell people I never have, watching Instagram reels or in the Word of God? Put that one in there for myself. Well, I stay late at work or make sure I'm home to put the kids to bed? We are inundated with choices and decisions to make. And the decisions that we make have significant impact. The decisions we make today can affect generations to come. This is where you do you, boo, really doesn't work anymore because there will be decisions that you make today that have significant impact on the lives of other people. I think this is what God is, is saying to Israel through Malachi. He's saying, my people, you've been making some bad calls. You've been neglecting the systems and the guidelines that I've put in place to protect you. And you've gone so far down this road that you've stopped realizing it. You're not recognizing it anymore. But here's the thing. In the middle of our biggest mistakes, in the middle of our worst decisions, when everything maybe even feels like it's fallen down around us, when we find ourselves dealing with the consequences of walking outside the will of God, of dropping the ball in areas of our life, when we've allowed the world to infiltrate our beliefs, when we have let down the people around us, not fulfilled God's purpose for us in the way we know we could have, in those moments, do you know what's so incredible? Our God has never and will never leave us. Band, I wonder if you just want to join me. I don't know if you remember, but right back at the beginning of tonight's scripture in verse 7, it said, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. And I know on surface level that can sound like a gloomy verse, but do you know what it's saying? It's actually saying that just like God has never changed, saying that neither really have we. We've consistently fell short. There's nothing that we have done that will be new to God, which means that there is nothing we could have done that will surprise or shock our God, that would be too far gone for him. And listen to this, the, the next thing God says to his people, he says, return to me, and I will return to you. Return to me, and I will return to you. Church, that is the invitation. He never left us. His love for us, it never decreased, and his character never changed. He's asking us to return to him. Of course, we know that, that um, between Malachi being written and us reading it today, The world got to see a Messiah by the name of Jesus, and He has rewritten our covenant. He's made ways so that those who come to Him and believe in the power of His name would always be clean enough and worthy enough to be in the presence of God. And He's asking us to come back, and He's asking us to step out in faith into the better way that He has set out for us. Some years back now, I I was coming out of my high school years, and I was in that unique stage of life that... Uh, we've all experienced probably where we have to figure out what's next. And at this stage, I'll, I'll be honest, my ways of life were not God-honoring. They didn't resemble a God-centered life. You could still find me at church on a Sunday, but that was about the extent of my faith, if I'm going to be real. I was doing anything it could to, I could to fit into a crowd that I didn't belong in. I was pushing the boundaries of what i had grown up knowing was the will of God for my life. I was chasing the buzz of fitting in with a crowd and then getting home and feeling as lonely and isolated as I ever had. And then actually at that point, I moved up to Palmerston North for uni and there wasn't a single person I knew up here. So I, I, I became literally isolated from the crowds I'd been hanging out with and everything that I'd been trying to find my comfort in. And, and I remember at this time, I, I called out to God for the first time in a while and I began to sa- I sound a little bit like Israel did in our text tonight. I was thinking, God, I've tried it your way and I feel as broken as ever. I've got hardly anyone to call a mate. not 100% sure that I'm in the right place or studying the right thing. But I'll never forget the moment that I was scrolling away in my room. Apparently scrolling can be of benefit sometimes. I saw this video pop up and it it spoke so clearly to my my situation and I want to show it to you today. Ruby, I wonder if you could come help me. God was showing me that I was holding on to some trash in my life. I'd allowed some decisions to get out of control. I turned away from what God had set out for me. I was holding on to trash. I'd allowed those simple decisions to become big ones, to build up and become something that I was holding on to for comfort and identity. And as a result, I actually, I couldn't see God's hand on my life anymore. But this video, showed me this really simple analogy that said, Jake, you're holding on to trash. The stuff is not filling you. It's not giving you what you need. And I have a better way. But here's what what needs to happen. I I, I need you to start holding on to my truth. But if you want to hold to this truth, something has to happen. This is stupidly simple. I'm sorry, I'm taking you to to crash again today. But if we want to start experiencing the fullness of the blessing that God has for us, we have to pick up the truth. This is the truth. But what happens, watch what happens when we, when we pick up the truth. <laughs> we have to start to drop the trash. And I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out, but when I saw that simple illustration, it clicked for me. I realized I couldn't afford to try and hold on to both things anymore that if I truly wanted to understand God's love in my life, there was some things he needed to call cool out. Cheers. cheers me. You can leave those here, bro. <laughs> so I don't know what that is for you today. Might be that God is calling on you to step out in faith with your finances, stepping out in faith and uh, return to that mission that God put on, put on your heart and that you've walked away from. Maybe tonight he's calling you out of some decisions in your life that started small, but they've built up and grown to a point where you've lost sight of his love on your life. Church, my challenge to us is to take him up on his offer, to return to him, to allow him to reshape us, to influence our decision-making again, to call out the things we've become oblivious to. And as we begin to hand control back to him, and to trust Him with our first and our best. And as we return to the ways He has set out for us, dropping the trash, just watch how He will choose to bless you and your family. Just watch how He will begin to use you as part of His plan. Just watch as those around you begin to ask after the peace and the joy that exudes from you. Just watch as this church begins to impact this city in a major way. My people, return to me, and I will return to you. He's a good God. He could have wiped his hands of us and been done with us. But instead, he's desperate to be in relationship with you. And he's desperate to show you a better way. He loved you when you were holding on to the trash. But he has something so much better if we'd start to drop it and pick up this. He's never left your side. And because he doesn't change, he's not planning on it. He's a God that loves us, has mercy for us. He's a God of justice, a God that knows a better way. He's a good God. He's a good God. Let me pray. Father God, we, uh, we thank you that you don't change, that you are consistent. We can rely on you and count on you. And because you don't change, that, that means that your love for us has never changed. You, you saw us really at our worst and you've seen us consistently just sh- fall short but your love for us hasn't changed and so we thank you for that we're grateful for that God and we're grateful for the ways that you're calling on us to, to step into your purpose to step into a better way that you've set out for us a way that you've, you've set out um, because you love us because you, you, you really do know a better way that, that will bring us the peace and the joy that you so willingly offer to us and so we're sorry when we, haven't, when we haven't gone in that way, Lord. But tonight, we just want to start dropping some trash and picking up what you have for us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your faithfulness. You are a good God. And we praise you tonight. In your mighty name we pray.